Good evening, everyone. It's time for Necromaniacs. I'm here tonight with Jeff. How's it going, Jeff? It's going pretty good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, word on the street is that you have gotten your first um, COVID-19 vaccine. How's that going? Yes. It's going... Aside, well, I mean, first of all, I got mine at Dodger Stadium. It's kind of a weird feeling. It kind of feels like you're being herded by cattle. You know, <laughs> this, this maze before you... It's like mass... You know, it's like these lines of people just getting injections. You know, it's not like going to the doctor's office or anything like that. So it was a little weird, but... Uh, I was able to get it because of uh, because of my job, because uh, you know I'm in logistics and transport. So I didn't jump the line or anything. Uh, I did it legit. Uh, the shot was nothing. I'm you know I'm kind of afraid of needles. I don't like being stuck with needles. I don't know how many people who do, but that was over in a matter of seconds. Didn't hurt. Um, about an hour later, I felt his exhaustion come on and didn't end for about 40 hours afterwards. Damn. Were you, you yeah. Were like, you were, like, really fucked up? or uh... I was just really, like, like, I went to work the next day, but I went in late, and everyone was like, you look exhausted. Like, I, I exhausted wasn't even the word. It was just, like, completely fatigued. My body ached a little bit. And I worked for a few hours and was like, I, you know, I just can't. Sorry, <laughs> like I'm so fucked up right now. Damn. And yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to you know discourage anyone from getting it. It was just you know, I, actually, the next day I felt so much. It was the most sleep I'd gotten in probably like at least a year, year and a half, maybe. And uh, I got my next shot coming um, a couple weeks, and then a couple weeks after that, uh, I'm coming home for my first trip to the East Coast in two years. Right on, man. That's good. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, going to see Randy. Hopefully, we're going to see you. Um, record some podcasts, hang out, and have a good time. Yeah, it'd be cool to do this in person, man. Definitely. That that's going to yeah, be great. Uh, you know, actually, Randy was here um, over the weekend to record um, "Everything Went Black" episode. And uh, oh, right on. Yeah, we were talking about that. We were making plans. So yeah, it's going to happen for sure. I'll you know go up to Connecticut. I mean, you know, dude, I honestly, I'll, I, any excuse to fucking get out of town or leave my house or do anything is like welcome for me. You know, it's like, yeah, like I was telling you before we started, uh, I've, I've been doing okay, man, the, the entire year, but I feel like I'm fraying a little bit right now. Just the monotony of everything is starting to wear me out a little bit. Yeah. I, I like I said, the, the, we're in the home stretch. And yeah, I, I really am like, I don't know, like the anxiety has just increased tenfold and I, I can't explain why. It just, maybe it's just been so long that I just can't take this anymore. And like, you know, that uh, first trip out is just around the corner and I'm, you know, I've got, I'm going to have a good flyer to begin with, but now during this, I'm going to be much worse. Uh, I'm not looking forward to that. I am stopping in Atlanta for, for a day and a half. Uh, you know, with my girlfriend, she should be back visiting her folks. Uh, so that'll break up, you know, the flight a, a little bit. I'm going to make it a little bit better for me. I, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Flying is going to be a trip, I think. I think so too, man. But uh, I feel like, you know, we're, we're so close to <laughs> not the end, but some version of, of normal. And I feel like we're just hanging in there a few months. It'll be all right. I'm feeling the same way. 
I'm, uh, you know, um, cautiously optimistic, I guess, is uh, the way I'd like to put it, you know. Right, yeah. And, like, it's just weird. You think sitting around, like, watching movies and just uh, and going to work and, like, you know, it's the simple things they used to enjoy have now become, like, kind of boring. Like, I'm kind of sick of it. So, you know, I want to go do something. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have I, – I work a lot. You know, but it's, mm. it's, you know, working at home and, um, and it's isolating. And, you know, I live here by myself, you know what I mean? And I don't really see anybody. I don't, I go like, I mean, I, I, I like I said, I go to Muay Thai at night, which I know is a right. risk. It's definitely a risk for sure. And I'm definitely taking that risk. But, uh, other than that, I don't see anyone, man. I'm just here by myself, me and my cat and, um. You know, I got band practice every, uh, you know, a couple of days a week or whatever, and but that's it, man. I don't, I go days sometimes without really seeing anyone, you know. And it's, uh, you know, there's like the disembodied voices over the computer, uh, you know, talking to people over like, you know, whatever different system you use and that kind of stuff. So it's been rough, you know. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to coming home. I think. I think it's it's much needed to. To get out of this apartment, yeah. I was just saying you felt so isolated. I was like, I you know live with my girlfriend, so like I'm really lucky that I have someone here and someone to talk to, hang out with, all that shit. You know, someone to go through all this with. But even being like you know, because she works at home, and you know, even that can create some challenges. Where it's like it's been a year where like every day we've seen each other. Sure. And you know, even if you're the the happiest couple in the world, that's Every single day, like, I walk to the door, there she is. And it's not that that bothers me, but, you know, like, when you go through, like, you know what I'm saying. Like, it's not all happy times, you know what I mean? It, hopefully she can't hear you saying all this stuff right now. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, I'll, I'll know when she listens to this episode when I come home and the locks have changed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's cool. She watches a lot of stuff, uh, you know, we do for the show with me. You know, it's cool to bounce opinions off of her and things like that. Um, speaking of which, you know, uh, have you been, we haven't talked in a little while. Have you been watching anything, reading anything? Yes, actually I have. And you know what? You remember, I think on this, one of the older episodes, we talked about the Zack Snyder Justice League. Um, you mm. know, and you, I think I was kind of cavalier about the whole thing. I think I was like, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm not, I'm not really into DC books. But... I saw I once I started realizing I don't know like something caught up about with it about me I was like oh wait Zack mm. Snyder Zack Snyder's fucking great man I love 300 and I mean I, he uh, makes he, a, he makes a good looking film that's all I have to he say he definitely does he makes definitely a great action film you know he's a he's great at visuals he's not the best storyteller I don't I you know to be honest I haven't really like liked or any of his movies. This is some that I thought were okay, but I too watched his uh, Cub the Justice League, and uh, I don't know what you thought about it, but I, I, I kind of loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, well, I like 300 because it's just, you know, it's fucking everything I like. There's like, Right. Know, hardly any story. It's like uh, <laughs> you know, a bunch of like guys like attacking each other with swords, and like it's got uh, Lena Headey in it, who's like you know she's like you know I love Lena Headey. She's like one of my favorites, mm. you know. And um, Gerard Bartler's only good role actually is Leonidas. <laughs> yeah, that guy's pretty bad. And uh, 
Yeah, I you know, and and the the uh, Frank Miller comic, you know, I have you know, I was into that, and then, but yeah, the Zack Snyder Justice League man, I I talked about it with Mike br- briefly too, and he's way more of a DC guy than I am, and um, well, okay, but I did you, you know, like I, it? I I did. I he, Mike liked it. I liked it, and uh, I thought it was great, man, and and I think that uh, the four hour uh, duration was was fine. Like I watched it all in one sitting. Me too. Yeah, it was just fucking fun, man. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with the length. It kind of reminded me of being like a kid and carving out like a, you know, a few hours to read an entire graphic novel or something like that. Like the the, so the the length didn't didn't bother me, and it went fairly quickly. There's a few spots where it kind of slowed down, but overall, uh, it moved pretty quick. And uh, did you did you see the original version? No, uh, no the, I the, didn't. The Joss Whedon one, no. Yeah, I saw that when it came out and was just in awe of how bad it was. And I uh, rewatched it right before watching the Snyder Cut. So it was like a week where I spent six hours watching Justice League, you know. Um, and it, it, it's a huge, huge improvement. And it's just kind of fascinating to me that something like this even exists. That, you know, usually when the director is, I mean, I think they allowed him to say he quit, but I think he was actually fired. And they really mangled this movie. And then, you know, years later, he's getting 70 million to finish his movie. And it's just insane. And all because of some people online and a hashtag. What's that? What do you mean, people online and a hashtag? Well, on Twitter, ever since 2017, um, the release of Snyder Cut hashtag started trending. And it became kind of a hot button issue where these, like, kind of, it became kind of synonymous with troll type behavior and entitlement, fan entitlement. And so a lot of people were really mocking the, the release of Snyder Cut hashtag and making fun of the, <laughs> the people tweeting about it. Um, and then it's a, all of a sudden it's a, it's, it's a reality. And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's something. Yeah, I mean, I I don't I usually forego the DC films, honestly. I mean, I, unless it's Batman and um, yeah, you know, the, specifically the Dark Knight movies, I thought were great, and uh, you know, even even the one with Michael Keaton, I thought was awesome from back, you know, the yeah. the nineties. Oh yeah, yeah, the, the the Tim Burton ones from the eighties. Yeah, yeah the 80s, it, those yeah. were good. You know, and and yeah, um, sure. I saw the Superman film. It was all right. You know, I didn't see Superman versus Batman. I did not see that. And I, I realized that uh, the Justice League film, uh, it, that's kind of those film, all three of those those pieces all kind of fit together, I guess. Yeah. But I mean, I know enough about the Justice League and the different characters to, um, you know, and Dark Dark Side and, you know, all these different characters. I know all about the backstory so I can enjoy the film. And um, yeah, it was, it was fucking cool, man. And like... Uh, Contrary to the Marvel treatment of their heroes, um, you know they Marvel you know treats their heroes more like re, like reality based. Like there's some kind of I, I know it sounds weird to say realism to it, but there's like a uh, like a more realistic treatment of their characters. But with DC in the Justice League, they all have this like very larger than life, uh, godlike kind of uh, vibe to them, very mythological. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, you know, I've never been crazy about Batman existing in that kind of world. I kind of like the more grounded Christopher Nolan 
universe where yeah. I think supernatural happens. But that's, I mean, like Batman didn't really have a ton to do in the Justice League. He just sort of assembles the team and then he sort of sidelined a little bit. Well, yeah. I mean, he can't really, I mean, these are like superhuman beings and he's, you know, just a guy that's like, uh, he's got a bunch of gadgets and he's rich and, you know, he can fight. Right. That's, that's really it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Ben Affleck uh, is a good Batman. I thought he did a, did a great job in all the movies, even if the movies themselves like weren't that great. Like Batman versus Superman was, I don't hate it as much as everyone else hates it, but it's, it's not very good. It's kind of a mess. Yeah, I, I'm probably going to check it out eventually. Um, you know, it's something I'm going to... I've been wanting to see it just as a completist, you know, because I do like all the Batman stuff, you know. Yeah, uh, it does have the best Batman fight ever on film. I'll say that. Really? Yeah. Huh. Uh, Zack Snyder knows how to direct a good fight scene. That's for sure. Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, yeah, for sure. You know, that's... I mean, the whole... I mean, it, it reminds me. So there are scenes in 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 the Justice League that are just like these double splash page. You know, like they definitely deliver. If you're a comic book reader, it it shows these characters in the way that you want to see them for sure. You know. Yeah, and also that's all maybe the only thing he improved a little bit on. Nolan is not. I mean, he does spectacle really well, but like the Batman fights felt very like choreographed and like the one, two, three kick, one, two, three punt. And it felt very stagey. It didn't really like, you didn't feel it. You didn't feel like the, the power and just like uh, anger that he has in him. Whereas in the Zack Snyder version of Batman, where he's like, he's almost on the edge of becoming a bad guy, you know? Cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Know, Batman is an anti-hero, So yeah. Right. That's, I mean, I prefer the Nolan movie, so I mean, no question. Yeah, there's a a movie I just watched today, actually. That um, oh. <laughs> it's like uh, Mike and I have been talking about this guy, Lucifer Valentine, this filmmaker. Uh, have you heard? Are you familiar with this guy? No, no, I'm not. All right, he's like, uh, I guess, um, a pioneer in the vomit gore uh, subgenre of extreme horror. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I, I his backstory and all the stuff surrounding him is way more interesting. And so he's a very mysterious character. Um, the movie them I saw this movie that he did called Black Metal Veins. That's um, the Justin, our drummer in uh, Tombs. We were talking about this movie last night in practice, and he he found it. And he downloaded it and sent it to me today. So I watched it and. Uh, Wow, what a uh, descent <laughs> into darkness and depravity that movie is. And um, incredibly hard to watch. Um, it's real. Everything's real in the movie. Uh, it's like a study, a character study of a bunch of uh, miscreants that live in a house in some shithole town in the middle of nowhere that are like, you know, just shooting drugs you know, getting into prostitution, um, living this low life. And, uh, you know, the guy, the, one of the guys, they play in this like black metal band and, um, you know, they talk about Satanism and destroying Christ and the destruction of humanity. And, you know, there's a lot of scenes of people shooting drugs and, you know, really nefarious kind of shit like that. And, uh, yeah, it was, 
it was definitely like an ordeal to kind of watch it, but it has merit though. Like I, um, you know, I, I, this is not something I would normally watch like on, on the regular, <laughs> on the regular, like I wouldn't be like, sure. you know, Oh yeah. I, you know, I want to watch something before I go to sleep tonight, but <laughs> it's kind of, an, I, the more I think about it, it's kind of an important movie because there's a lot to discuss about it. And uh, anyone out there, if you're familiar with this guy, Lucifer Valentine, look him up online. There's a lot of stuff about him. I mean, actually, there isn't a lot of things about him. He's kind of, a, like I said, a mysterious figure, very private. His films are very controversial. Um, I don't know how much I would enjoy them. However, I would like to see some more of these just because uh, I think it's it's a interesting sort of uh cultural uh you know transgressive sort of thing to be aware of you know so mm. I, I watched that today oh, you know i do need things to watch with my parents while i'm home so yeah, uh you, I, know, I, you know that's you know, my parents have that kind of stuff you know vomit core whatever <laughs> yeah i'll, I'll send uh, you the uh the mp4 and you you and your parents can watch it on your phone nice perfect <laughs> you know <laughs> Um, that doesn't sound like it would be my thing, but, uh, I would like to see it just to see what it's all about. It's one of those things where like, it's not like you could easily dismiss it. You know, it's very difficult, difficult to watch. And, uh, but if you're into dark stuff, you know, and, and you ponder these things, you ponder stuff like evil and human depravity. And, you know, if you're uh, someone who reads like, uh, like George Bataille, um, you know, dark stuff like that. If you enjoyed Pasolini's uh, Sallow movie, um, I mean, it's not, I'm not saying that this movie is like a, a Pasolini film. It's not, it's not at all like that. It looks like it was shot on like a, you know, like a, a camcorder or something like that. You know what I mean? Does this movie have a legitimate release? I this stuff? Oh, or is I don't it like know. really I, underground? I looked it up online, at, you know, and, and there was a, um, <laughs> it said that it was simultaneously released on DVD and uh, had a short theatrical run. Now, I don't know where the hell this movie would show. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, I, I doubt, I don't know who would show this film. Uh, it's probably, I can't imagine it being rated anything really. I, it's just, yeah, it's just, um, I mean, a, anyone who's been out in the world, uh, has probably run into people like this. You know what I mean? It's like, I was talking about it last night with, with Justin, our, our drummer and, and we were reading about it at, at practice. And I was like, yeah, you know, We've probably seen people just like this, like in bands that we played with in like West Virginia or something like that. You know, just like these desperate, uh, delusional drug addicts who are, you know, just live in this like small world of delusion, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, they're out there. You know, and and there's even something like concepts of... um, you know, demonic possession. Like I've, I've had these talks with people about like how I, you know, demons don't necessarily, you know, since a lot, a lot of like, you know, evil is manifested in the human consciousness, you know, and, and you could become possessed by something by being like obsessed with certain activities. And the more you do them, it changes you. And I, I, I've oftentimes looked at like substance, 
addiction as like being possessed by some demonic force. And, um, mm. you know, they, there's a scene in the movie where this, you know, this, this chick showing all these like abscesses that she has and her skin's all fucked up. And this guy's like teeth are falling out and his feet are all fucked up. And it's like, yeah, he's turning into like a fucking zombie. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's the evil of this addiction that he have is manifesting itself in his body. And it's like, I mean, you know, if that's the kind of thing that you think about, and I'm not saying that's, you know, a healthy thing to think about. If you have a morbid fascination with these things, this movie's definitely something you should listen, you should check out, I think, you know. Yeah, and yeah, that take, like we're saying about possession and evil, not necessarily being literal, but more metaphorical. Like, it's not, it's not some demon from hell that's possessing you. you know, it's heroin, it's alcohol, it's, it's, you know, it can take the form of many things, you know. Yeah. So I, I was also watching, kind of like, half watching this Vice uh, docu-series about this kid who changed his name to Bazuzu. Um, And, uh, you know, he killed a couple people and, you know, claimed that he's Satanist and and all this thing is Satan would protect him and he could never be caught. And, (laughs) of course, he got caught, (laughs) you know. Um, But that, yeah, it made me think, like, like evil is not just... It, it, it's, it's something you are. It's not something that can, I mean, maybe it is something that can take you over, but I, I think it, it starts with it, is, is, is what I'm saying. Yeah, definitely, you know, and, and I mean, it's, you know, going to like, you know, like the process church and, and that kind of thing where there's like the three, you know, there's like, you know, God, like uh, Jesus, uh, Satan, uh, oh, fuck, of course, now I forget the goddamn uh, Jehovah, uh, mm-hmm. Satan, and um, the, whatever the third one is. And everyone is a combination of all three of those deities, you know, and some people are more Satan or Lucifer, Jehovah and Satan. That's what it is. Mm. You know, like Satan is like the destructive force. Lucifer is like the kind of party guy. And Jehovah is like the good, you know, the good, the good in people, you know. And uh, I thought like, Lucifer and Satan were the same. No, 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 no. no. Mm. Luciferians are people who are like sensual, you know, they're into like. I would say that, like, Anton LaVey was probably more of a Luciferian, you know, because he's into, like, you know, sensuality and partying and stuff like that. And well, but isn't Satanism really just, like, some kind of form of atheism? Like, I don't, I'm not that familiar with it, but it's basically, like, do whatever you want. Like, God doesn't exist. Well, I mean, there's, all, like, a lot of different aspects of Satanism, you know what I mean? There's, like, there are people mm-hmm. out there who do believe there's a dark entity and they have like a personification of evil, you know, uh, then there, then there are people who look at it as more of like a philosophical, uh, choice, you know, and then, you know, then there's like the church of Satan, which is like, um, you know, Anton LaVey's thing, which was kind of, uh, you know, more, more about like, I think more about just like almost like a showbiz kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, he had, you know, if you read the satanic Bible, a lot of it's based on, uh, might is right by um, uh, Ragnar Redbeard, and uh, you know it talks more about doing what you want, you know, being your, you know, if you're uh, being your own sort of god, and uh, and and but having consequences to your actions, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, so I mean, there's all, and then there's like the Temple of Set, which is a little bit more literal. I mean, there's all these different shades of Satanism, you know, but. But, uh, but yeah, anyway, that's, you know, the whole thing about 
the processed church that Jehovah, Lucifer, and, and Satan, and it's like everyone's made up of different percentages of those three ideas. And some people are more evil than others, and some are nicer, and some people like to party down more, you know, and, and that kind of thing, you know. Right, yeah. But it's all internal, you know. It's all like, a make, it's all the makeup of your personality, and I think that the black metal veins made me think about that a little bit, because... um there was a guy who was like the boyfriend of one of the, this chick that's in the movie. And he's like, he's a Christian. And he's just like, mm. he's like, you know, he's like Satan. He just, you know, he doesn't want you to follow him. He just wants you to be against Christ, against God, against the Lord. He's not, you know, it's <laughs> like, he just wants you to be against that. He doesn't want you to embrace him. You know, I don't know. It's right. just like, and that's the filmmaking, you know, Lucifer Valentine, I think, did a fucking great job. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to ever see any of his other films because his other films sound a little too, like, mm. you know, like, not, I just wouldn't enjoy it, I don't think, you know. But this this had something that I could at least, you know, relate to a little bit, I guess, you know. Sure. I, you know, also, like, how many of these Satanists are, are just kind of reactionary turds, especially you see a lot of this in the South where they grow up religious and they just want to kind of rebel and they're like, I'm a Satanist. They drop anagrams on churches. And, and, and fuck shit up. They really don't know what they're talking about, you know? Well, yeah, but that's like, you know, you go to like back in the 80s, if you go see Slayer, there's like dudes like that, you know what I mean? But but like, I think that there's a lot of philosophical like people who adopt like satanic sort of ideologies. Oh, sure, yeah. You know, and it's like, uh, it's interesting, but it's also Satan is like a, you know, inversion of Christ and you know, if you're really an, if you're really not into Christian, it's like if you're a satanic, then you have to acknowledge that Christ exists and God and all these other things. You know, so right, know. like it'd be cool just to like you know be into some like dark evil energy or something like that. You know, right? Okay, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like I can relate so, uh, to that. You know, <laughs> when I'm home, we'll make some popcorn. You know, get a few beers and we'll just like watch six of these movies in a row. Yeah, man, on our phone. Like, we'll just have it on, on our phone. phone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right. Sounds like a plan, man. Yeah. Well, uh, the movie we're discussing today is not like anything we were just talking about. <laughs> not really. Well, maybe a little bit. Well, a little bit. bit, I would say. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, the movie we're talking about tonight is Black Mountainside, written and directed by Nick Shostakuski. And he's uh, mm. a, a Canadian. And this movie seems very Canadian, in my opinion, too. And, um, yeah, for sure. The accents were big boy. It came out a while ago. Uh, officially released July thirtieth, twenty fourteen, at the Fantasia International Film Festival, and then it was uh, released for for theatrical release in uh, February twenty sixth, twenty sixteen. So two years later, it actually had some uh, you know theatrical action. The uh, runtime is ninety nine minutes, so it's you know a little bit long. You know, but it, it's still pretty good. And um, so, yeah, Nick Shostakuski is there's hasn't done a whole lot, but the things this movie and is has like uh, apparently there's like a follow up to this movie called Archons, which really um, yes, and uh, I don't know if it's directly related to this film, but they're they're promoting it as a um, a follow up to this film, and. Um, it hasn't been released yet, uh, but it was. I guess it was wrapped up in 2018, and it said something about a 2020 release. But we all know what happened in 2020. So, it did something that last year, Mike. 
fucked. Yeah, man, everything got <laughs> fucked up last year. Oh, fine. And uh, I'll, apparently, I'll he's, apparently he's casting a new film called Deep Crimson. So, you know, keep an eye out for this guy. Uh, it seems like the, you know, the, the, this film I thought was cool, and, and he's, we'll get into why I liked it, but there's a lot, of, a lot of the stuff that I've been telling you guys about that I like, you know? There's, like, the woods. There's, like, creepy ancient shit. There's, uh, you know, ritualistic, uh, you know, temples, uh, you know, sticks, horns, antlers, like all that kind of stuff. You'll find that in this mm. film. Yeah, I mean, uh, right off the bat, let's get it out of the way. Uh, you can't really talk about this movie without bringing up the thing. I think, I, I mean, just look like the plot um, that the cast is is all male with uh, you know one one black actor. Uh, some of the subject is a little bit similar. I mean, I think I noticed it right away, and almost anything I read about this movie mentioned the thing. But it, I, it, it's important to note it's not a carbon copy of, of that movie by by any means. But it's definitely an influence. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, it's a bunch of ma- men <laughs> up in the wilderness. I mean, you know, it's not the, the plot's actually pretty straightforward. Um, <laughs> very small cast. Uh, I'm not sure. I, uh, no, I didn't really recognize any of these guys. But, uh, you know, it's, we got Shane Twerden as Jensen, Michael Dixon as Professor Piers Olsen, Carl Toftfelt as Marco Manro, Mark Anthony Williams as Robert Michael Giles, Andrew Moxham as Dr. Richard Anderves, and Timothy Lyle as Drew McNaughton. And then there's uh, Steve Bradley as uh, Stephen Wells. And then there's uh, Nathan Gordon as the creature. Because mm. uh, you know, there's a creature in this movie. You know? Sort of, yeah. More here heard than seen, though. Well, you, you, you get a glimpse. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and um, you know, in sim- like common, a common thread with a lot of films that probably have like a, a, you know, a modest budget like this, they, you never get like a real good look at the creature. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's definitely probably for the best. You can tell this movie was made on a on a shoestring budget. I mean, they don't really get into close ups and details on the artifacts or the uh, or or anything like that. You can probably tell it might not look that great on camera. So everything is shot a little bit at, at a distance when it comes to that stuff. Right. So the setting is uh, we got a group of these guys. They're up in the Arctic, way way up north in Canada somewhere. You know, someplace where, you know, you got to fly a helicopter to get to. Uh, similar to The Thing, except The Thing took place in Antarctica. And, um, you know, you had to fly, thing, fly people in with helicopters and things like that. Right. Um, and they're, uh, they're investigating a, um, you know, these guys, I guess, are archaeologists, right? So they're investigating these artifacts that were uh, recently uncovered. And um, they're dated 14,000 years in the past at the closing of the last ice age. Mm. And um, as they uncover these things, some weird shit starts happening. So, right. You know, and there's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you said that you say the thing, right? I say mm-hmm. Lovecraft. Yeah, there's definitely a bit of that going on, for sure. You know, I say uh, but, uh, color out of space, actually, too, in some ways. Well, 
the thing was also heavily influenced by Lovecraft, so that that makes complete sense. Absolutely, so, yeah, yeah. Overall, what was your impression of this movie? I, I think you really liked it. You recommended that that we do it. Yeah, I I um, really enjoyed it, and and um, I like these types of films where there's like not heavy on effects. Um, I think that their their modest budget they did a really good job of of uh, of making do with what they had, you know. And yeah, um, I, you know, I love I love like these kind of slow moving dialogue heavy uh, films, and that's exactly what this was. Yeah, I do too. And what's interesting is I liked it more the second time through. Whereas usually the kind of movies like this, like the first time through, are more enthralled with it. The second time they start picking things apart. But this time it was sort of flipped. The second time I watched, and at first when I thought this film, like it, it feels a little amateurish at parts, but the second time I was like, there's actually some complicated shots going on in this movie. There's a lot of long take scenes uh, that are like heavy on dialogue. Um, it's invented the way it kind of skirts around to low budget. You see, like effects are sort of or gore sort of hinted at, and and like I said, they kind of shoot it from a distance. Like at one point, like you know, a cat gets, I guess, sacrificed to that altar. We're not really sure what happened, and you don't really get a close up on the mangled cat or anything like that. The camera's sort of at a distance, um, which I appreciate because I don't like you know you see enough mangled cats in the streets every day when you drive around the city. Um, yeah, I, I, I can do without a mangled cat, that's for sure. Right. Um, there are some strange uh, kind of choices in the movie, things I think that, that could have been elaborated on, things that don't end up going anywhere, but, uh, I mean, we'll get to the ending in a bit. Um, but overall, like, the second time through, I enjoyed it a lot more, like a significant amount more, whereas the first time I was like, eh, I don't know, but the second time I was way more into it. So it's a, it's kind of a film that grows on you. You know, you really think about it. And the more you think about it, the more you, the more I end up enjoying it. Yeah, I, and I think that because I, I enjoy reading short stories a lot. You know, what I mean, I'm really into mm-hmm. like like you know, like I said, the dialogue heavy characters. Um, you know, this movie doesn't have like the payoff effects of like you know some really cool looking alien or creature or gore, or any of these things that you you might want to see in a horror film necessarily, but I think that the movie has a lot of atmosphere, and um, like similar similar to Sator, uh, there's a lot of cool shots of the woods, you know, and, and mm. sort of the countryside, and, and it makes you, it creates this like this icy, isolated atmosphere in the film, and you know, you're supposed to feel that, because these guys are like, yeah, you get you get the sense that they they're up there for a long time, you know. There's a lot of monotony, uh, you know, loneliness. Um, you know, they're similar to other you know situations where there's a, a group of people together all the time. They get on each other's nerves sometimes, but then they also have these uh, bonding these things of you know where they play cards and get drunk together. You know, and that's you know it just it just adds to the overall atmosphere of the film. And um, I thought that was really cool, the way they did that in this movie. Yeah, you get a sense, like, you meet these characters, and I, I believe it's one shot of them, you know, that's circling around them playing cards. And, yeah, you can tell they've been together a long time. But they, they 
in general, they, they like each other, which makes the breakdown of, of, of their situation that much more heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, and, then, um, and then as a result of them finding this uh, this artifact, you know, this this uh, you know Professor Olson shows up, who's like, you know, like coming there to check up on these findings, and you know, he's a little bit of a, a senior guy, I guess, is how you might look at him as like in the in the hierarchy, and um, you know, he's a little critical about some of the findings, and yeah, you know, there's a little tension between him and the rest of the crew there. Yeah, that's sort of hinted at more than like you know i think in like a lesser movie he'd be a kind of like the villainous evil corporate guy but this guy kind of assimilates himself pretty well in the group uh quickly and seems seems open to, to, to their findings um almost as soon as he arrives is when things start to go bad and i was like, doing a dig up there is that that's one thing I, that wasn't like completely clear to me and when they dig it's like you know the thing's just kind of like sitting on top of the ground doesn't look like it's in the ground well, yeah, well, that, that, you know, that goes back to, uh, you know, some budget uh, constraints probably. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like... Yeah, but I, I like to nitpick things. I mean, I don't like to. I just do it. Like, things like that or, like, little details where they're like, oh, it gets sippy below at night. But they're kind of just walking around with winter coats and stuff like that. And uh, I used to work in a frozen storage facility and the freezer area was three below zero and that was almost unbearable when we had even like special equipment on uh so when i see them kind of walking around without winter hats and stuff and i'm like no no well well, these guys are canadians man you know that's the other thing you know canadians like that's uh you know that's they can handle the cold a lot better than southerners here you know (laughs) so what exactly did they discover discover by this and he said it's 14,000 years old well, and, and may go down ten meters, and maybe you know. But what I think it really is, um, it's all right now. Now you know how you you might have read articles about uh, as as the uh, you know the permafrost thaws. There's this fear that, along with methane being released in the atmosphere, um, more and more of these ancient bacterium are going to be released into our environment, you know? So there's, I think that is what, like that concept is what struck me as being kind of like maybe one of the um, driving factors in this film because uncovering this 14,000 year old, uh, you know, artifact or, you know, whatever the hell it is, uh, it unleashes what they initially think of as maybe is like some kind of bacteria or some, physical um you know microbe that's starting to affect everybody psychologically right and um it seems to affect everyone differently and at different points in the movie this is one of my other like nitpicky things like okay so things are going on uh, the cat is uh the first victim of this thing it's found like it's sacrificed and um one of the workers, because I guess the archaeologists have locals that help them with, with, with the dig. Yeah. Claims that they saw McNaughton kill the cat. That detail is never really brought up again. Did I, did I miss something? I have, I that, have a hypothesis about that. Um, oh, I'd like to hear it. Yeah. All right. So there are these native people that they get hired to do uh, some of the grunt work 
you know it's like it's like when you see the exorcist you know like there's that scene in the beginning where they're out there in the middle east and they have these like yeah. the guys that you know from the local guys like working you know there's they had a bunch of native dudes like working for them and i think that um maybe this entity is part of their folklore and they mm. actually sacrificed the cat uh because they were you know they were they were like digging in, in, in an area that was like significant to them, like culturally. And they, you know, there's some oral history about it or something like that, where they're like, okay, we're, we might be unleashing like an evil spirit. So I think that's why the cat was sacrificed. That That's my take on it, at least. Ah, uh, interesting. Well, because shortly after that, the next strange thing that happens, all those workers all of a sudden uh, disappear. Yeah, they, uh, they, they don't leave. come back. They leave. They don't. They don't want to be around the site anymore. Yeah, and they they thought that they just went home, but it, like at one point they revealed like they were going in a completely wrong direction, in a direction that would have lead to their inevitable death. Exactly, but like trees tree to death. So, do you think the workers were the first infected and they went crazy and deliberately killed themselves? Like, it, it, again, it's not completely clear what happens to them but you just know that probably nothing good happened to them right and and one of the the way the way that this um you know the way that this uh affects people they they start acting irrational that's like the beginning of um the infection or whatever you want to call it from this uh this ancient dig and uh i think what happened was these guys like you know they're they they sacrifice the cat and they're like, we got to get out of here. We're, we're fucking around with some ancient shit. We got to leave. But they already were infected by whatever it was that was starting to infect everyone else. And they just like wandered off and died in the elements. That's kind of my take on that as well. Right. Yeah. But like the things that are weird that are happening at the beginning are not completely unexplainable. Cause then right now, shortly after that, the communication had stopped working. Um, even though the radio works fine, they can't get a hold of anyone and no one's coming into them. That made me wonder, because I mentioned that there were other dig sites going on, like miles and miles away, if they were experiencing similar things and are further along than these guys were, like further gone. Like, like I, I kind of thought that was how it was going to end, but it, it doesn't really come back to that. It's just sort of uh, left ambiguous. Like, are they the only ones in a dig that are having... These problems, or is this happening all over? I think it's just localized, you know. Yeah. And, and I and and that's like the Lovecraftian part of it, you know, where it's like similar to like color out of space, like the um, like this isn't from the, the cosmos. This is some something that has existed on the planet, you know, some entity that was trapped within this dig, and when they uncovered it, it it, it began to unleash itself. You know what I mean? And it right. started changing people. You know, there's like some some of the people lost their minds, and some of them started undergoing physical transformations too. Well, yeah, like okay, like Wells, like you know, they're sitting around having dinner, and Wells just pukes up all this black vomit, which is a really nice moment. Like vomit in movies can look pretty fake, and this is a really unexpected, uh, realistic-looking moment. Um, and it, it's weird at that point. It, like, it, it seems like weird things are really starting to happen. And at first, it looks like the group is sort of in, 
in denial of what's happening. They're like, well, what did you eat? Like, but you know, no matter what he ate, clearly that wasn't normal what he just did. But it's not really, you know, they don't really seem to discuss, hey, something really wrong might be happening. They just seem to sort of go about their business, which I didn't know if that was like the, the beginning of a madness being taken over or, or if that was just, uh, I don't think, denial on their part. Well, at some point, they do realize that there there is this like infection that's starting to work its way through everyone. Right, like when Bell throws up, uh, and he's sick with flu-like symptoms for 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 days. The doctor can't explain it, but he doesn't really. The doctor doesn't seem that concerned. He's like, you know, I'll give you some sleeping medication and this, and uh, you know, be on your way. Uh, McNaughton is the second one of the group to. I, he seems to me the first one to experience the madness. Yeah. Where he seems sullen and depressed and and weird. And again, his his moment comes out of nowhere where just, uh, Jensen comes in the kitchen and realizes McNaughton has cut his hand off. And uh, I was wondering if there's any significance to that, like uh, cutting off the hand. Is, I mean, no one else who goes mad really does any any self-harm, right? It's just him. Right, but also I think there's different levels and different degrees of how infected they are, you know. And it's like, right. you know, at, towards the end, you know, the whole thing just erupts in madness and dudes are, like, shooting each other and stuff, you know. Yeah, no, exactly. But, you know, McNaughton, he's had enough. He blows his brains out. But what's interesting is he's not really dead. That's uh, right. You, you sort of learn through an examination that... Uh, he, he has like other life forms living in that um, uh, are, are similar to squid or octopus. Right, which is like another, you know, like <laughs> that's like the fact that they Very, were like they had dead yeah. tentacles and stuff. I was like, oh yeah, man, this is like some straight up like Dagon or something, you know. I, I wish you got to see some of that in the movie, but you know, again, like budgetary reasons probably restricted that. But it's cooler that that it's even hints that. And, um, yeah, so it's like, this thing is some ancient, uh, virus that takes you over, but also something else is unleashed in the form of a deer god. Right. I think that's actually the physical manifestation of this like thing. And all this other stuff is kind of like, like, the offshoot of that, you know what I mean? Mm. Like the, so, that's the actual entity is this weird, you know, deer antlered creature. And, uh, cause like, I, I think at one point there is like a point where this voice is talking about how it's like, you know, it's from the fucking cosmos or some shit, you know, some like old, you know, ancient ones kind of vibe, you know, of like beyond, mortal you know understanding or some shit you know what i mean and and this um virus and, and i'm calling it a virus but like I, I think that more accurately it's um you know like color out of space where there's like this unexplained thing that happens and people get transformed by it so i think the presence of this dear god the energy that radiates from that thing causes these transformations in people and people start losing their minds and, you know, acting irrationally and killing each other and that kind of thing. 
Yeah, it seems to have, like, it's one of those things, like, first you hear it, it definitely, and then you see it. Um, it's before the characters and for the viewer, you hear this voice, and, and it'll say things like, do you see it, do you see it? And eventually, it's kind of clever the way, like, it does show this sort of deer standing in the distance, but it, it's sort of a blink and you'll miss it kind of thing, too. Right. Um, and it seems like some people are are a little bit like, you know, like Jensen hears it, but he maintains his sanity through almost, like, through most of the movie. I would say maybe even until the end. Like, he knows something's out there, but he seems less susceptible to its suggestions. Yeah, I mean, and that just, you know, some people in, are more receptive to stuff like that, too. I mean, even if it's like, you know, you read, I mean, I know you and I have had this discussion about the supernatural and all this other stuff. I mean, there are people out right. there that claim you know, to be sensitive to this stuff, and some people go their whole lives without having any kind of paranormal experiences. So it's like, you know, this kind of thing it just is, I guess, that's the degrees of sensitivity that people are to these types of energies is, uh, you know, that, that is illustrated by Jensen hanging in there throughout, throughout the entire film almost and not being really, being aware, but not succumbing to it the way the other crew members do, you know. The Doctor too, which I thought was interesting, and I kind of noticed the second time around, that the guy of science never really has that moment where he's hearing a voice or, like, ever thinking, like, any of this is, like, possible. You know, like he's still hanging on to, like, a rational explanation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And even, uh, what's his name, um, Olsen, like, he's sort of this very serious guy, and, like, you know, he, he starts to, he sees his body talk to him, bashes his brains in, and uh, saying, you know, it didn't seem like a hallucination, you know, it all seems real. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the one character that really, like, uh, we haven't really mentioned is uh, Giles. Is that his name? Yeah, Giles. Yeah, Giles. Whatever. Giles, yeah. yeah. He, uh, you know, seems to unravel. His unraveling takes the longest where he, he, you know, where at the end he snaps and, uh, you know, he's the one who's, who just snaps and, and I guess is sort of like a human villain of the movie. He's running around shoot, shooting everyone. And yeah. it's a nice like moment. I, I believe that whole scene was one take. Yeah. See, that's exactly. I mean, I, and that's the thing, man. It, it it's it has like that kinetic like one take intensity, you know. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it required like some like you know CGI gunshots and like things like that, but it didn't look bad at all. Like it didn't linger too long in any of the wounds, so you can notice that it's digital or anything like that. It was a very affecting scene. You know, he spends whole movie with the doc and these characters that he kind of like, and then they just kind of like just, just were killed, you know, unceremoniously. Yeah, and, and like I was saying, like I, I, this obviously was made on a on a tight budget, but it's um, fucking the, the writing, the directing. I think even the acting. You know, like I, maybe these guys are like superstars in Canada, but I never heard of any of these dudes, to be honest. You know what I mean? No, no. There's a couple moments where it felt a little wonky in the acting, but you know, like, whatever. That's fine. It wasn't, like, so bad. You cringe or anything. Um, what did you think of the ending? I loved it. I thought the ending was brilliant, man. It's like, 
Uh, I mean, here we go. You know, spoiler. Uh, nobody gets out alive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't think I had it for a second. I thought anyone was going to, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, so th- there's a bloodbath at the camp, and the only guy to really get out is uh, Olson. But they show him. They're they're like, here, follow the follow this path through the middle of the fucking woods in this subarctic. <laughs> you know. I'm like, oh great. That's uh, you know, that's that's very uh, encouraging. So they show him the next morning. Uh, it's daylight, and he's walking across this like virgin snow field. And there's like, he gets he steps in a bear trap, and he and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like the fucking guy like freezes to death out in the wilderness, you know? Oh, it's brutal. And they just show him like writhing around in pain, and then cuts to black. Yeah. End of movie. And then there um, was some foreshadowing of the bear traps earlier in the film. There was, there was. That was a really like clever. Like I actually laughed at the end, like when when cut to black. I like it was like that is not how I expected to end at all. Um, yeah, but yeah, you're right. They mentioned the bear trap earlier, early on in the movie. You completely forget about it. It doesn't seem like it's a significant line, uh, line at all. Uh, first time I saw it, I really didn't like the ending. Second time, I was, again, I, I, I was okay with it. Uh, one thing, they never really show what happens to Jensen. They show him sort of lighting the place up or, or, or pointing gasoline on it, but like they don't really show him uh, doing it, doing anything. Like, like they don't show him burning it down or and dying or anything. It's just sort of like, you're just sort of left to assume that Jensen, who I guess is sort of the hero of the movie, is just going to you know bleed out out there talking to uh, the deer god well yeah i mean he he's gut shot he's he's shot in the stomach and and you know they they pretty i think they're pretty clear that it's a fatal gunshot wound right and uh, his like him burning down the camp didn't make much sense Uh, maybe he tried to burn down or the 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 shrine or whatever it was but you know whatever i i think um once again you know yeah, you got you got this movie's heavily influenced by the thing, which is in turn heavily influenced by H.P. Lovecraft and you know cosmic horror in general. And the ending yeah. with the burn down of the camp to me harkened back to the ending of uh, you know of, of the thing with the, the flames mm-hmm. and the fire and all that stuff and the chaos at the end of the movie. Uh, before the end of the movie, there was a nice moment where the deer god is talking to Olsen. And he seems to be talking to Jensen simultaneously. I don't know if that was an editing thing, but to me it seemed like this this thing was in like two places at once. Well, you know, um, the reason why I didn't have a problem with that was because uh, there's a book that I read called Blind Sight, which is like... You say blind or blank? Blind. Blind Sight. It's a a hard science fiction film, but there's like some horror elements to it. And it has to do with like, you know, consciousness and communications and all this shit and like entities like connecting with your brain. And, you know, so to me, I was like, yeah, why not? Why can't this, you know, you don't have to be in in proximity to communicate. You can just just think and just be inside your head. You know what I mean? Right. Um, The the Deer Cat says a line that I really liked. uh, the line was, uh, "You think you deserve understanding?" Yeah, man. When he's talking to, he's like, "What were you doing when I created everything?" It's, it's fucking sick, right? It's great. Yeah, and it it, it it rang really true when people think about you know the afterlife, 
what's out there. Like, who do you think you are that you understand any of this? Like, none of this makes any sense or is this anything? And it's just the fact that, like, the, the, the dear God just thought how insignificant humans were or, like, individual human life was. Like, how you think you deserve understanding? Who the fuck are you? You know? Yeah. And my my feeling too is even even that physical appearance wasn't even really what it looked like. It probably had some other extension of itself that existed in like a, a non physical form or some ephemeral like you know consciousness only being you know. And right. I, and that that's like see that's what I mean. Like this film, it's like it makes your brain kind of fills in the the you know fills in the blanks. I guess you know, and, and it's. Yeah, you know, for sure. There's flaws. Like, we pointed out a few of them. You know what I mean? There's, like, limitations yeah. with budget. You know, there's not, like, the flashy special effects or any of that kind of stuff. And um, But you fill in the blanks through the writing, I think. You know, I think the script was really well done. And I think that the atmosphere of the film and, you know, you, you fill in these blanks. And I think uh, that's why I, I enjoy this movie so much. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you should point out that the Dear God creature is hardly even really a creature. It sort of looks like, you know, like taxiderm, a taxidermy deer that, like, stands on, on two legs. Yeah, yeah, basically, um, yeah. Yeah, which almost makes it a little bit scarier that it's not menacing. It's just this deer that, that like, it doesn't move its mouth, and when, it's, when it speaks, the characters hear it in, in their head. Um. Yeah, I mean, but the movie doesn't need a big creature or anything like that. There's another film out there called The Pond, which is like another, like you know, similar kind of thing. And and there's the special effects in that are even more like rudimentary. Mm. But the movie is so fucking great, though. It's like amazing, amazing movie. But once again, it's mostly dialogue, man, and like just vibe you know yeah you know good directing good writing you, you tend to overlook some like you know shot things like that if, if, if the movie is exceptional like you know we've talked about that before in this podcast about little dumb effects things we over, overlook because the movie's so good yeah and uh this is definitely one of them like if you're gonna give a final final grade what would it be i'm gonna give this a 4.5 man I um I'm gonna watch I I have watched this movie about three times already. Yeah, I watched it twice. I went from a two and a half to a three and a half on my second viewing. Yeah, good. Um, I think it kind of remind, reminds me a little bit of like you know Larry Festington's Wendigo, where you're like, yeah, some of it looks a little shoddy and everything, but the movie's really good. I wouldn't mind doing Wendigo. That that's a cool movie. Yeah, I like Larry Festington's films quite a bit. Uh, he oh. also did an Arctic movie uh, last winter. The last called... winter, yep. Yeah, that's a we. That's eat, both of those we should do. I think both yeah. of them are great. You know, and and there's a vampire movie he did. Um, oh, I never seen that one. Oh, dude, it's I can't remember the name of it, but there's a vampire film. Uh, takes place in like New York City in like the early '90s. It's uh, yeah, really, really good. Great. That's thirst. Yeah, that's um, is it called The Thirst? I mean, I don't know. I, I know it's his first film, though. I know that. He just his last film was sort of a riff on uh, Frankenstein. Yeah, that was pretty good. Depraved. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was fine. It was good. I liked it. 
the Frankenstein guy looked it's funny because like he just looked like some European like dude who's in like like a band that sounds like Joy Division or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like they show him yeah. hanging out in Williamsburg, like or in, in Dumbo. There's like some some of the uh, film, some of the scenes were shot in Dumbo, and I'm like, yeah, he looks like some dude that would hang out in that neighborhood anyway, you know, just some European. Yeah, he's like a, like a a bartender, you know. He's really like a, you know. Poetry like his passion, really though. Yeah, he's like a bartender, and his band just came back from a European tour, you know. And <laughs> he's bartending, you know. Yeah, no, I totally get you. Um, but yeah, this is um, exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, whatever the director does does next. And uh, yeah, well, this is a good one. Like I said, man, he's got uh, Archon, Ar- Archons. Which uh, hopefully is uh, I'm going to try to find more information about when that's being released. Uh, he's casting a film called Deep Crimson right now, which uh, mm. sounds fucking cool. And um, he has a website called CanuckCreatures.com. That's his website. Oh, and, interesting. Yeah, and it's like you know that he he wrote some books. It's like his filmography is listed there. You know, it's not you know. It only has Black Mountainside and Archons listed, and Archons is listed as 2020. And apparently, um, it takes place in the woods. I saw a trailer for it, and um, there's like a band that they're trying to like, uh, you know, they're they're like on their, they're probably going to break up. They're going on this like excursion into the woods and taking you know mushrooms or acid or whatever. <laughs> but then there's these fucking forest dwelling creeps you know like creatures that live out in the woods and mm. you know it's like that the, the it's all that shit that i like you know like some sort of like unseen you know presence darkness right the woods you know like all, all that stuff it's great you know it looks cool oh yeah and um so yeah that's canuckcreatures.com for uh, for his uh, Nick's uh, web website, and you can follow him on Instagram and all these other things. And I want I want to get behind this dude, man. I, I really dug Black Mountainside. It's exactly the type of film that I like. Like for all the reasons I said, you know, it's dialogue heavy, character rich. Um, yeah, I just think it's cool. And there, and it, and and then the the actual subject matter. I can all day. I can read read and watch movies in the cosmic horror weird fiction genre that's like my yeah shit. or like yeah or like the woods or anything like that um your know, snowy dreary landscape anything like that is, is uh my wheelhouse too yeah yeah was, oh and also this uh film won some awards too the uh Black oh, did it? yep best feature at the hp lovecraft film festival in 2015 oh, there, there you go <laughs> Uh, it won the best screenplay at the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival in 2013. Best cinematography at Blood in the Snow Canadian Film Festival 2015. Uh, it was nominated for best cinematography at the Leo Awards in 2015. And it was also nominated for best sound entity editing at the Leo Awards the same year. So, yeah. You know, it's oh, like, interesting. It was recognized. Yeah. Okay. You know, there's one thing I get, I wrote it down about the budget, is that this movie has a helicopter shot in it. And uh, those are cheap to rent, I would imagine. I imagine, like, a significant portion of the budget was maybe spent Probably. on that one shot. 
Yeah. No, I, I, I'm well aware of that stuff, man, because like, yeah. I mean, I, I never really worked in films, but I did a lot of independent like sound at films and, you know, I was involved like a lot, like, I don't know, like 10 years ago I was doing, you know, between like touring and, you know, whatever, doing other shit. I was working in production, you know, doing various mm-hmm. things and, I know how long it takes to shoot things and how difficult it is to do like long shots. And that's why that, that one cut shot is fucking so impressive, man. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to more, more films from him. Hell yeah. All right. I think that covers it. Yeah, man. Thanks for listening. And, uh, we'll catch you guys, uh, next week. Take care. Take care, everyone. 